This is Pamela Wilson, author of Master Content Strategy, and you must be smart because you're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas in order to succeed in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners where you can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash marketingbookpodcast or just click on the link at marketingbookpodcast.com. And now on with the show. Today, we welcome Pamela Wilson back to the Marketing Book Podcast, talk about her new book, Master Content Strategy, how to maximize your reach and boost your bottom line every time you hit publish. Pamela Wilson is an award-winning designer and marketer, a keynote speaker, now a three-time author, a former executive vice president, a copy blogger, and the founder of Big Brand System, where she helps people build online businesses they love. And interesting fact, and this might come up during the interview, She's a big fan of Picasso. Pamela, congratulations on Master Content Strategy, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much. You know, all that sounds really good when you say it. <laughs> oh, great. Well, I enjoy saying it, So, and I'm, I'm so glad to have you back, and I got to, just for just one reason why. Um, in our office, you know what? I think I sent you a picture of this. There are a couple of books not too many, and there are a lot of books here, but over on my content director's desk, I checked before we got on the line here, and there are there are three books that even a content director is looking at. One of them is Master Content Marketing by a Pamela Wilson, and it's, it, we just refer to it. There's a, another one, a newer one by Garrett Moon called 10X Marketing Formula, and we've also got Andy Crestedina's uh Yes. Content Chemistry, which is now in its fifth volume, 280 books. But this book, for, uh, Master Content Marketing, is getting a little worn for all the right reasons. That's fantastic. You did. You told me that a while ago, and you sent me the the photo, which was seriously one of the most flattering photos I've ever seen as an author. That is exactly what I was dreaming of for that particular book, that it would just sit on people's desktops and be a guide but I did feel like I needed to write some kind of a follow-up because people were coming to me and saying, okay, I know how to create the content now. Great. But like, what am I supposed to be writing about and how often and how do I fit promotions into the whole thing? So that strategy piece was missing. And that was why I, I wrote this book. It's like the companion, like the, the little brother that fills in with the extra information. Yeah, and maybe what made that picture better for you is it was, in fact, a very messy desk, but your book was sitting on top of all the mess, so it just tells you something. If it were buried under all the other stuff, that wouldn't be good. It wouldn't have been the same, for sure. Yeah, I've had people send me photos that have like sticky notes all over and do it has dog-eared pages and everything. So that's what I always want, that if somebody grabs a print version of the book, that they really use it. To me, that's super flattering. Mm -hmm. So, Pamela, you have a, a great forward to your book written by John Morrow from smartblogger.com, and I just had to ask you about it because, you know, you had me at hello, 
you had me at this. It's when he says, if you're following the traditional approach to content marketing, it's about as powerful as farting into a hurricane. You had me at farting. I'm sorry. You know, it just I a, know. A holdover from I, Beavis and Butthead. I know, right? Like how many people have that in the foreword to their book? I feel kind of honored about the whole thing. And I have to tell you, you know how much fun it was to read that when I was narrating the audio book oh, and try to that. keep a straight face. Yeah, that was really interesting. I loved it. He wrote such a great forward. I mean, he's an amazing writer. And I was thrilled that he agreed to write that. I've known him for a really long time, and he's always been super supportive. And he just, I mean, I i was in Austin. I went to see him, and he said yes immediately. So that was very exciting. He's That's somebody terrific. who I, yeah, I just, I admire him, and he really knows his stuff. So I was thrilled that he wanted to be part of this this book and smartblogger.com is one of the top top resources for you know all things related to blogging but what 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 is he getting at when he says if you follow the traditional approach to content marketing it's it's less effective what what would be the traditional approach that's now dated mm that's a great question you know i think the traditional approach is this feeling like you just you're on a content marketing hamster wheel and you just have to keep producing content whether that is written content or it's a podcast or a vlog it doesn't really matter people often get on this this kind of vicious circle where they're just churning out content and they're never really stepping back and trying to see the big picture how everything goes together and how the content they're creating could be pushing them closer to their business goals. Mm -hmm. And so he, you know, I think what he's trying to say is it's not just about throwing more content into the hopper. It's about being a little bit more strategic about the work that you do. Mm. Yes, very much so. Now I want to read an excerpt from the beginning of the book and then ask you to talk about the concept of magazine publishing and how that's uh, such a great paradigm for content marketing. You say this is a book about content strategy that recognizes a few truths. What you publish and how often you publish it must change as your site matures. Consistent in-depth content that includes multimedia elements gets more attention and engagement than content of one type. Words only, audio only, video only. And intentionally amplifying your high-quality content will help establish your website as a reliable resource on the web. So could you explain the magazine publisher approach and, and how that can help with creating compelling content? It seems like it's such a helpful paradigm for a lot of marketers. Yeah, you know, the thing about the magazine publishing idea is that um, – I, I worked in the magazine publishing industry for years, and a lot of what they're doing there is trying to present this cohesive story to a specific group of readers. So people subscribe to a specific magazine. My, my husband is into motorcycles, so he has magazines about motorcycles, those cool. magazines, right? And, but like they post nothing about fashion ever. That's right? not true. That's not true because there's all kinds of clothing they can buy. It's like you know. It's like you know about this. So, um, I'm afraid I but, do. right. So you know what I'm saying, though. The the editors are trying to present uh, content, both photography and and written stories that appeal to a specific group of readers, and they have them in mind with everything. So what I'm asking the content creator to do is to keep your reader or your viewer or your listener in mind and make sure you're sort of staying within the world that they're expecting from you. So it's that, but it's also this idea that, you know, in magazines, one of the things that I talk about is magazine publishers have to pay for extra paper when they add photography to their pages. And that has a direct effect on their bottom line, but they do it because they know that they can tell better stories with multimedia. They know that they can tell more dynamic stories when they use images and they draw people in and it feels more like an experience as people move through their pages. And that's what I'm asking content creators to do, not necessarily in the first year, which I have a feeling you're going to ask me about that, but... <laughs> 
you know, your the needs of your website and your skill as a content creator develop, both develop as the as time goes on. So the kind of sophistication level of your content should also really change. Right. Well, now as it relates to understanding your your readers, just like the the publishers of the motorcycle magazines understand what your husband's interested in. I want to quote from something that it was just one of my favorite parts of the book. And everyone's going to have a different favorite part, but I don't know. Maybe it warmed the cockles of my heart, but I just thought it was so interesting. It's from page 25 where you say, I have taught marketing to non-marketers for decades. And between you and me, this next concept is one of the most difficult for non-marketers to embrace, but it's essential, seriously. So please keep an open mind for what I'm about to share. And then you go on to say, to create content that makes people feel like you get them, you have to be willing to focus on one group of people and exclude other groups. Pamela Wilson, what are you talking about? I thought we want to be all things to all people. Right, (laughs) yeah. That is the world's best way to dilute your message and to not appeal to anyone. It's to try to appeal to everyone. Yeah, it's, uh, well, and I'm sure that the reason that resonated with you is that you've probably had to have that conversation dozens of times with clients, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's the, pick your your cliche, you know, pigeonholes are stuffed with cash or there's riches and niches. But I think it it seems like such an important exercise to start to say, well, here, who are we not trying to reach? Almost like a yes. negative buyer persona. And I found that that's really helpful for getting people to say, oh, oh. So it almost makes them feel more comfortable starting to say, oh, okay, this is exactly who, who we do want to reach. Exactly right. You approach it backwards. So you say, who do you not want to work with? And people can usually very quickly list people that they don't want to work with. I don't want to work with someone who doesn't know what they want. I want. I don't want to work with someone who's overly demanding. I don't want to work with someone who can't pay me for my product or service. Duh. Right? Yeah, but how many times do companies talk and spend endless time talking to somebody who, in fact, can't pay them? Can't actually afford it. Yeah. Right. So, Getting people to think about it that way seems to be an easier way to get the gears turning. And then, like you said, then it's easier for them to come up with, okay, so then who do I actually want to appeal to? Now that I know who I'm trying to eliminate, who do I actually want to reach? Mm -hmm. So you mentioned it, you teased it earlier, as they say in in the biz, whatever that biz is. You talked about, you know, like, as the years go by, your your content strategy needs to change. Just like as your children grow, you actually have to buy different clothes for them and feed them different things. Uh, can you explain the life cycle approach to content strategy? Because I was, I had never seen it presented this way, but like several things in your book, it just made too much damn sense. <laughs> oh, that's good. You know, uh, that I came up with that out of desperation. Can we just talk between the two of us? That was totally out of desperation. And the reason I came up with that is because I I knew I needed to write about content strategy. And the more I thought about it, the more I started to get really concerned that I wasn't going to be able to actually write this book. Because I just kept thinking to myself, like, what is a universal concept that everyone can use, no matter what kind of content they're creating, that will apply to their journey as a content marketer? And I thought and thought and finally came up with this. I mean, it was totally like, you know. (laughs) Nothing like a deadline, huh? Yeah, no, I mean, I just, I I was trying to figure out something that would, would be helpful to everyone. And this has seemed to really resonate with people. It's like the thing that everyone wants to talk about. So what I've realized and what has seemed to be especially helpful to people is that if you think about your website growth as happening in stages, And those stages are kind of mirrored in your own growth as a content creator. So in the first year of a brand new website, you know, you fire up this website and you look at a blank blog or a blank podcast that you need to fill with episodes 
or a blank maybe YouTube channel if you're a vlogger. It's just, it's completely blank, right? So totally daunting. But the goal in the first year really is to just create content on a regular basis. So what I recommend is that people try to do something every week. And that, there are two big reasons. First of all, it's because you're going to fill your blog or your podcast or your vlog with content, with 50 or 52 pieces of content, depending on whether or not you're the type of person who actually takes time off. Um, you'll have a lot of content by the end of that first year. But the other thing that happens is that you will have become an experienced content creator at the end of that first year. Absolutely. You know, and it reminds me, if anyone's ever bought anything like from Ikea or any place and you have to put it, let's say you buy like three bookshelves. And the first one you put together, you know, it may take 90 minutes, <laughs> but right. the second one maybe takes 30 minutes. And the third one is easy because you just get better at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's, you know, there things are happening in two channels, right? You're filling your site with content. That's making the search engines very happy. It's helping you to start building audience. And you're also just gaining skill as a content creator. So what I said in the book is, you know, you get through that first year. If I was coaching you in some athletic event after a full year of training, I would add complexity so that you can continue to improve, right? So in the second year and years two through five, what I talk about is exploring this idea of like repurposing your content, getting it out onto other platforms, turning it into different media types. So for example, you have a podcast, maybe you do some video and you explore that because I know you're you're comfortable with that or you explore you know, just presenting it in a different format and getting it out. Maybe you start doing slide shares for every episode, something like that. Mm -hmm. And then in years six and beyond, if you've been doing this consistently. So one thing that I recommend in this middle two to five year stage is that possibly you can dial it back to producing a piece of content every two weeks because that gives you some bandwidth and some extra time to do this kind of content repurposing that I'm recommending. Mm -hmm. So you do that during those middle years. And then if you do that consistently by about year six, you have a ton of content. <laughs> so then your role needs to really change again. And you need to be helping your readers to find what they're looking for when they arrive on your site. Because now it's it's really more of a resource library almost, right? So you need to be just directing people around so that they can find what they need and also maintaining older content, maybe going back and updating it and, um, you know, bringing it up to date in terms of information and even presentation. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a great story that really stuck you know how stories work in your brain you just remember them and there was one is it related to that third section like year six and beyond when you really do you know all of a sudden you notice you've got a lot of content and you write imagine this you've just stepped inside one of the most renowned libraries in the world there are three floors of books and the stacks go back as far as your eye can see you sense that the knowledge of the world is all around you you can smell the paper and ink, and you can't wait to find the exact books you need. You move quickly to the information desk where you ask the librarian where you can access the online card catalog. She looks at you with benign patience, smiles sweetly, and says, oh, we don't use a catalog here. We just put the books on the shelves so you can explore them at leisure. Enjoy! <laughs> uh, it kind of hurt. hurt to read that, but it really made a point. It's like, oh... Gosh, it's almost like an episode of Hoarders where you've got <laughs> suddenly all this content and you're not really thinking about being able to help the people that actually do want to find it. Right, right. I, you know, it starts to become a problem. I mean, it's an excellent problem to have, to have a site that has that much content on it. But you don't want people to turn away in frustration because they just can't find what they need. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that folks could be doing? I mean, they're looking at their analytics. And I guess also what happens if your business starts to change? How does that play into, you know, treating your content sort of like a reference librarian and a, and a maintenance person? 
Right. Well, that was my experience because I I ended up doing a pivot on my own site. So what you end up doing is going back to older pieces of content that are ranking that people are finding and maybe shifting the focus just slightly or incorporating new information that reflects the pivot that you're taking with your business. So um, you can definitely do that. You look at your analytics, see what's ranking. And then if something is reflecting your previous focus, you go back and update it so you can shift it just a little bit. So that's one kind of maintenance. The other kind of maintenance you can do in terms of just helping people to find what they're looking for is you can add a resources tab to your menu that shows your main category pages. You can make things easy to find. If you have a website that uses a sidebar, for example, you can put your categories right in the sidebar. You, you just find ways to feature the things that people are mostly looking for on your site in a place that they can find easily. Mm, yeah. So let me ask you to explain a couple of concepts that are out there. And this I'm, I'm thinking of the folks that think you just need to crank out a 300-word blog post and maybe have a picture and, and nothing else. Can, can you explain the concepts of what you call very important content, VIC, as well as deep dive content? It's so funny. I, it, you know, this is a podcast. It's not video. But when you were saying folks that think you can just crank out 300 word posts and put a picture at the top of it, I'm over here wrinkling my nose like, ew, <laughs> you can't do that. But I think that's there's a lot of people still. Well, I know there are a lot of organizations that are thinking that just the, the act of blogging is like somehow checking the box sufficiently without really much other consideration. Right. So search engines have gotten really smart about recognizing what human beings actually respond to. And so they have noticed that people, when they spend a lot of time with a piece of content, that usually reflects that it's a quality piece of content. So that means the content is often a little bit longer, significantly longer than 300 words. Yeah. Well, and there's all kinds of studies you can see about I've seen it over and over again, like Rand Fishkin will do it. They'll show like the top ranking terms, the top ranking pages for certain topics, and then the number of words. Right. You know, it could be 1,500. It could be 5,000. Right, right. So, and there is a trend. You see a lot of pieces of content now that are so long that they have a table of contents at the top so that you can get through it. So, you know, and I'm not necessarily recommending that, but I think for a good user experience, you probably need to give them more than 300 words. It would be like your podcast being four and a half minutes long. <laughs> it's like, how much can you actually fit into that? Well, I could start by removing all the verbs. <laughs> you'd say hello and you'd say goodbye, and that would be the whole episode. So, yeah, that's it's that's not enough. I mean, that's not enough. It would be like every YouTube video being 37 seconds long or something. It's just not enough. So mm -hmm. um, search engines recognize that when people spend more time with a piece of content, that usually means it's quality. So that's one of the reasons that repurposing can be really important. And this is where very important content comes into it. So I call it VIC, very important content. And that's basically content that goes in depth, that sometimes includes research, that has multiple subheads that makes it very easy to kind of skim through and get through the information. Oftentimes it has added images, Oftentimes it has, um, it uses content repurposing, so it adds things like slide shares or video, something in another media type, so that the person stays with the piece of content a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of thing, I mean, you don't necessarily do it in the first year. The year that you're trying to improve your chops as a content creator and just get content on your site you just focus on that. And then starting in year two, then you start really pushing to up the quality and, and make everything, just create the kind of content that people want to spend time with. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about something you just mentioned, which was repurposing. My sense is that a lot of people aren't doing this, but I could be wrong. Talk about what it is, really. Uh, I think it's often confused with some other things like syndication. And, right. And, and what are, you know, I guess 
let me let me give away one of the tricks. Why is thinking about it at the very beginning? Uh, how does that actually make it a whole lot easier? Right. What's interesting about repurposing is that repurposing gives you the ability to take your content that's in one form and to kind of morph it into a different form. And what's really amazing about that is that it gives you a way to keep the viewer or the listener or the reader on the page for longer. So you asked about what can you do, you know, in terms of just thinking about this from the very beginning. Well, this is where some of the concepts I talked about in master content marketing can really help you. So one of my big pushes in that book was to get people to think about content as having some kind of underlying structure. You probably remember this, right? The seven essential elements of a piece of content. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's your headline, your first sentence, your introduction paragraph, your subheads, your main copy, your summary, and then your call to action. Those are the sections. And if you think about your content like that going forward, it makes it much easier to repurpose. Because, for example, let's say you're going to put together a slide share. Each of those subheads can become a slide share, you know, almost like a, a chapter slide, like the first page of a new chapter, right? And then you go into the content that is underneath each subhead. So having this underlying content structure makes repurposing it much, much easier. So if you keep that in mind from the very beginning, your repurposing job will be easier. Mm. You know what that reminds me of, Pamela Wilson, when you mentioned the the seven parts there, and the listeners can find this on their on on your website, which we'll link to in your episodes show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. But on our website, we get a lot of people that want to contribute to our blog. And so just to try to thin the thin the herd a bit, I posted your infographic and I said, Yeah, we'd love to have, you know, this is these are kind of our readers and these are the things our readers wrestle with. But if you submit something, it needs to follow Pamela Wilson's format. Oh, my goodness. I wow. I shared that with you. No, you hadn't told me that. I would have remembered. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. So, we're yeah, we're stealing your information all the time with full attribution, of course. But it's like, look, this is how you do it. Even if they don't contribute to our blog, at least they've been exposed <laughs> to a, a, a way that I would prefer that, uh, that, they, that they do it. So, speaking of that, that, now that was based on your earlier book, uh, Master Content Marketing. I, uh, I have to ask you to talk about what you call the, the lazy method of content marketing. It's basically, you know, how, how, to, how do people get results by breaking their projects into small, doable tasks. Right. I, just, I love this. And I, it's, it's so simple. It seems simple, but doggone it when I've done it, <laughs> it helps. It does help, right? So, and I I revisited it very briefly in the second book because I, I did want master content strategy to stand alone to a certain extent. I go into a lot more detail in the first book, mm-hmm. but I, I, you know, you saw in the book, it's like the content marketing crash course. So I have this section kind of right in the middle where if people are starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed at the idea of creating all this content, I give them a way to... Um, approach it that's less overwhelming. So the four-day content creation system, you said I might talk about Picasso, and here we go. Well, yes, the body of work approach to content creation. Yeah, go ahead. Well, it's the body of work approach, but just thinking about how creative work gets done in general. Oh, and the amount he did, he probably did something. Oh my gosh, right? So um, Picasso was a very prolific artist, and think what you think about his personal life, he got a lot of work done, right? So, and from my own experience as a designer, what I have noticed is that the best creative work doesn't tend to happen in one marathon session. It tends to happen when you work on it for a while, you step away, you come back to it, your eyes are fresh, and you can notice everything that's wrong with it and everything it needs, and you approach it again, add more, step away, and then come back to it, and you do this several times. So this is what I recommend people do with a piece of content, that on the first day, they just work on getting a headline that's going to work and a 
basic structure in the form of some subheads, you know, which ends up being kind of like an outline, right? Well, you're, you're tricking them into an outline. But I mean, first off, headline, maybe you should write 25 of them. And I think you said even the first 15, and I've, I've read about BuzzFeed, they do the same thing, but just writing several helps. But then the subheads, it really does help wrap your mind around how you want it to flow. It basically is an outline. Exactly. It's like, this is how I'm going to present my idea. And this is how I'm going to step people through it, right? So you write that basic structure, and then you walk away. So that first day shouldn't really take you that long, especially if you've done it before, it shouldn't take too long to get through that. And then on the second day, you just try to get a first draft written, a messy first draft, but you try to get something down and written by the end of the second day. Mm-hmm. I should interject Anne Handley, who wrote Everybody Writes. One of her many expressions, of course, this isn't the one that she would hope everyone would remember, but it's the one I do. <laughs> she says, barf up a first draft. Exactly right. So what I recommend actually is that you just aim for speed. Like yes. don't, and, and what I say is like write forward, don't write backwards. So mm-hmm. do not go back and try to edit because the third day in the system is devoted to editing. So you don't have to do any editing on the second day. You just have to get something written. That's all. It just needs to be finished by the end of the second day. And you mentioned set your time, your clock, your stopwatch for 10 minutes and right. just see and how fat, how much you can get written in 10 minutes. Right, right. Just, oh. Yeah. 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 Because a lot of times it's just taking that first step. And once you get going and you're warmed up, you're off to the races. And then on the third day, you edit it, you polish it, you add some kind of an image, add uh, formatting like bulleted lists or block quotes, you know, make sure the visual piece of the content looks really great. And then on the fourth day, you publish. And every time you step away and revisit, you're just seeing it with fresh new eyes. Yeah. And and then you publish and you and you promote it. And we're going to talk about promotion here. But let's talk about Picasso some more. And here's why it really struck. It's just a, it was it's so helpful to remember. And I'll 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 even draw on another author I interviewed. Tom Fishburne is the marketoonist. Mm-hmm. And he I interviewed him for his book about the first fifteen years of cartoons called Your Ad Ignored Here. And I remember in the interview, he made a comment about how, you know, I think you as a someone who actually had a background in graphic design, you know, you understand just how difficult that type of content is. But he said he's he's comforted by the fact that he's no, he knows he's going to do a, a, another one in a week. He's going to keep doing them and not every one of them is going to be the greatest in the world. And I just, I found that so comforting. And even though I've, I've, maybe I've had an interview with somebody and I'm thinking, oh, maybe the listeners aren't going to like it, but it's not the last one and it's not the only one. Can, can you talk about that? As, as, I guess as it relates to, to Picasso. Yeah. It, you know, I have always liked his work. I've always been drawn to it. So when I see that he has some kind of exhibit up at a museum, I try to make it a point to go. So I've actually seen a lot of his work in person over the years of my life. And what I started to notice over time was that I I saw these ideas in development in his work because he he produced like 50,000 pieces of work. Now, some of those are prints, but still, it's a lot of work. He produced sculpture, painting, ceramics. I mean, he worked in all these different mediums and, and just has you know, work in every form that you can imagine. And you see these visual ideas that pop up in one form or another. And if you see enough of his work, you can see the ideas develop to the point that he will have some kind of a recognized masterpiece that uses this idea. But if you've seen enough of his work, you can see the idea when it wasn't really working. You can see Mm -hmm. it in the early days, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And Honestly, that is partly how I work out the books that I write. If you go back to the content I wrote for Copyblogger, for the content I've written for my own blog, Big Brand System, a lot of the ideas that you find in my books started out as blog posts, and I developed them in the blog posts. Now, I did not, I'm not the kind of person who writes a blog post and then turns that into a chapter of a book. That I don't actually think that works that well, but the idea of just developing the idea 
and developing the concept and thinking it through and putting it into words, I have found very helpful when I can do that uh, in one format and let it develop over time. Yeah, and I would think you're comforted by the fact that you know it's it's actually going somewhere. It's part of a larger, you know, it's a spoke in a bigger wheel. Well, but not always, though. (laughs) So sometimes I'll develop, and this is the same thing with Picasso, you know, sometimes you develop an idea, you put it into writing inside of a piece of content, and then you go, well, that didn't really work out. So, (laughs) oh, well, so you you cherry pick the ones that actually seem like they they have some some traction and you go with those. But even then, when you've, you know, produced a, a bomb of some sort, you probably still learned something from it. Like, oh, now I see why that wasn't working. Boom. Yes. You, you know, so you're still, you're still learning. Now, Pamela Wilson, I want to ask you, uh, there's, there's one other quote that just really kind of got my motor running. And one of them was about, you know, figuring out who you don't want to talk to. But this was another one where I stood up and proclaimed, amen, sister. And <laughs> I just want to read it and, and talk about how content plays a role here. So, this is a section on page 138 where you, the, head, the subhead is, why email addresses are more valuable than social media followers. Let's clear the air on this topic before we start. You may have seen people talking about all the money they have made from their Instagram followers, their Facebook groups, their Pinterest followers, their YouTube subscribers. I suppose I should resist the urge to be cynical, but we know each other by now, so I think you'll forgive me when I observe that many, many of these folks also happen to have a course to sell you where they'll teach you how to make money on those platforms just like they did. And when you dig deep into those courses, guess what most of them recommend? That you gather as many people as possible on an email list so you can engage with your audience in their inboxes. So talk about the importance of email marketing, but also the vital role that content plays in it. Right. So the next thing I say in the book actually is, let's just skip all that and go straight to developing your email list. Let's just build your email list. Let's go straight to that. Instead Instead of of becoming a, a multimillionaire based on your Instagram followers. Right. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. If that is what draws you, but I prefer more direct routes. So (laughs) (laughs) what, what I'm recommending is that people find ways to do things with their content marketing that moves their audience onto an email list. So oftentimes that looks like a content upgrade. Do you mm-hmm. want to talk about that? Please. What is what is a content upgrade? And you know that's a term that I've only recently, you know, run into. Explain, explain right. what a content upgrade is. Right. So a content upgrade is so I want you to imagine that somebody is Um, they're reading your piece of content or they're listening. In your case, they're listening to a podcast episode or they've watched your video and they are really into it. I mean, they are really into it. They're like, ah, I just, I wish I understood even more or I'm ready to implement this information. I wish I knew more or I had a tutorial or some kind of how-to on how to get this implemented. The content upgrade is for that audience. It's for the people who are really into the piece of information. So it, it kind of, again, kind of functions on two levels. So what you try to do is create some additional information to offer to them so that they can take it, the, take the next step with your topic, right? So they can implement what they're learning. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be super extensive. It could be one or two pages. It might be a resource guide or a checklist, or it could be a, a five-minute tutorial video, something like that. But not but a 150-page ebook. No, no. And that's the thing. People don't have time to consume that. So you want something that is immediately actionable. So it doesn't take long for them to consume, but it also doesn't take long for you to produce because, you know, you have to make it. And if it's too elaborate, you won't do it. So I really encourage people to do something that is compact, but that delivers a lot of value. So that's one level in which it functions, right? You're providing additional information to people who are really engaged with the topic. 
But as a, an email list owner, the amazing thing about content upgrades is that everybody who signs up through a content upgrade is someone who you know is really interested in that topic. Mm-hmm. So you're able to do things in your email software like tag them with the name of the content upgrade. And then later on, if you have some kind of service or product that has to do with that topic, guess who you're going to offer it to? You're going to go back to the people who signed up for that content upgrade because you know that they like that topic and they want to do more with it. Yeah, and that's such a a separate topic, but great advice for anyone doing email marketing. Any amount of segmentation of your list is going to be more impactful by an order of magnitude. So, for instance, if somebody downloaded something from your site about a specific topic and then you came back to sell them or offer them something else, you're going to have really, <laughs> I would think you're going to have some pretty good email marketing metrics. Exactly. That's the thing. It's it's a way to make your offers more targeted and it is also a way to not annoy people and to just keep them on your list because that way, you know, you may have a variety of things that you can offer them. If you're really only offering them things that you know for sure they're going to be interested in, they're going to stick around longer. But if you, you know, offer them, I don't know, my husband with his, you know, motorcycle magazine, and if he starts getting offers for like nail polish brands or something, I I don't think he's going to take them up on it. I just don't, you know. Well, let's not judge. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. But you know what I mean? It's like you give people targeted offers, offers that you know for sure they're going to be interested in. And that way you don't annoy them with things that they are not at all interested in learning more about. Absolutely. And you have rung the empathy bell because those customers are going to go, wow, it's like they really get me. It's like they get me. Yeah. We go back to that idea. Right. One last thing I wanted to talk about, and that is uh, as it relates to Mark Schaefer, who you mentioned in the book, your fellow Tennessee resident. Yes. You live in great city of Nashville. He's in uh, Knoxville, both very cool places. I have to tell you something funny. I finally met him in person in Costa Rica. (laughs) (laughs) You have to go to Costa Rica to meet your... He was there at a conference and I was there on vacation and I walked by him and I'm like, I said to my husband, I'm like, oh my gosh, I think that's Mark Schaefer. So I went up and introduced myself to him. He was literally on the beach and I introduced myself to him. Very, very gracious, very gracious, I must say. He is a great guy, very generous, and I'm sure he didn't think you were stalking him all the way to Costa Rica. (laughs) Right? Yeah, right. (laughs) But what I was going to say is uh, he wrote an article a few years back about this this phenomenon, and he dubbed it content shock, which is basically, uh, in a nutshell, if you took all the information ever created, published since the beginning of recorded history up until the year 2003, that amount of content is now being produced every two days. Right. So there are lots and lots of people listening and uh, out there who think that when they hit the publish button on their blog, that they can relax. But the truth is, uh, that's really just the starting gun. T- talk about the importance of what you call amplifying and, and some of the things that, I, I hate to say it, but they're really required now uh, beyond just hitting the publish button. Right. Yeah, you do really have to get behind your piece of content and and advocate for it or else it'll just be like a leaf on a stream that floats downstream and it's never seen again, right? Mm. So you have to keep bringing it back in front of people and really advocating for it. So that's that is things like promoting it pretty heavily on the day or two after it's published. But then putting it, uh, what I call it is putting it into rotation. So putting it into some kind of rotation so that it's coming back every week, maybe once a week at the beginning and then every couple of months. And you just keep it coming back so that people are aware of that content. Even if they find it three or six months from now, they have a way to find it. Yeah. So it's it's amplifying it and and then and that gets back to the repurposing idea also that you are taking your content that started on one platform and you you are expanding onto a different platform and using it showing it in a different form on that platform. Yeah, giving it more and more chances of life and I've heard Jay Bear describe it as you have to market your marketing. 
Yes. But this even gets into, you know, paid promotion might make a lot of sense for, for getting help and to get your content out there. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And not, you know, not for every single piece. I think you look at your content and you say, which of these pieces is actually going to push me closer to my business goals? And those are the ones that you're willing to put some money behind to promote. Yeah. And to all the marketers listening, I would urge you to go to uh, your management or whatever and make sure you're clear on what the business goals are. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> find out who your most valuable customer is. You know, find out what your sales goals are. That, you know, it, it, it doesn't help that a lot of marketers don't know that, but I think it's even worse that some of them uh, don't even ask that. And when they ask that, I, I think they'll be very impressed and they'll, they'll, they'll think differently and, and more highly of you. So, Pamela, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? What I really want readers to understand is that their their content, so this could be their blog or their podcast or their vlog, it has a life cycle. And they have a life cycle as a content creator as well. So if you approach it step by step and allow your goals to change as the years go on, your content will get stronger and you will gain skills as a content creator and you're you're just going to feel less overwhelmed about the whole thing. Well said. And I think, you know, after reading both of these books, one of the we're going to talk about my emotions now, Pamela. One of my <laughs> emotions is that it's sort of like you can do this. <laughs> it doesn't have to kill you. This yes. this can actually be done and there may be a lot of BS out there and and maybe um people not being working very smart about their content strategy now, but this is really is a time when it's it's much more about smarts and, and quality than it is about quantity. Quantity, exactly. So are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading? <laughs> it's so funny because I heard a podcast that you did with Ann Janser a couple of weeks ago. Oh, we talked about this uh, other author. Yeah. Right? You talked about me. You talked yeah, about me. You talked right. about Master Content Strategy. That was very flattering. But the, I was cracking up over here when I heard that because I am reading one of her books. It's actually not her most recent book. She wrote a book a couple of years ago called Subscription Marketing. Oh, yes. I interviewed her about that. Uh, oh my market- goodness. It's actually in its second edition now and in multiple languages. I know. I'm reading it right now because I I just started a membership community last month actually. So I am I am like mainlining anything I can find about membership communities, which I have some experience. I've had my own in the past. I help copy blogger to run there, so I have experience, but I really want to learn everything I can about how to keep them going and build the community and all of that. So that book has been super valuable. I read Mm -hmm. a lot of business books, so that's the one I'm focused on right now. And then I'll be moving on to her newer book. But um, Writing to be understood? Yes, the new one. It's sitting on my desk. So I have to get through the, the other one, and then I'll move on to that one. But um, and, you know, I tend to read a lot of business books, probably not quite as many as you do, but I read a lot. So um, I'm going to take a break. There's a collection of essays called Nobody Cares that I'm going to work on after I finish Anne's um, subscription marketing and, and the newer book because I, I'm just going to take a break from business books. So well, I'll have to let you know. Nobody Cares going to be about? It's say. a collect. It, well, it's a collection of essays. It's a woman who's quite a bit younger than I am, I think. But oh, I thought you were working on it. Oh no, 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 oh, nobody. Okay. No, that's what I'm going to be reading next. Oh. You asked what I was reading, so I'm going to be okay. reading that next. I'm going outside of business books just to take a break uh, before I start um, my next book. So I'm already next thinking book. about the next. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, I'll be back knocking on your door about a year from now. Well, do you know? Do you know what the next book might be about? I haven't completely come up with a concept um, in a way that I'll be able to express it. That sounds very convincing. But basically, it's going to be about how online businesses grow and how people really struggle with the transition between their growth stages. That's what I have seen from my members and my coaching clients that people, when they're moving from one stage to to another, it's it's challenging. And so I'm going to be giving people advice about how to navigate those transitions. Interesting. Yeah. Well, how best can listeners learn more about you and this new book? 
The best place to find me is bigbrandsystem.com. And I am going to have a book page there so they can see all my books in one place. And there's a lot of content. I hope it's not like a disorganized library. I'm working on that always. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's a lot of information there. So if people are interested in building online businesses, they can hit me up at Big Brand System and find lots of good info. Super. And uh, I noticed one when I was reading, it's uh, mastercontentstrategy.com. So we're going to include links to that and all the links we can, including links to your Twitter handle and your LinkedIn profile so folks can connect with you and And thank you for being on the podcast. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you have subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your podcast player of choice, like Apple Podcasts, and you're not driving, all these links can be found by going to this episode on your podcast player and clicking on the show notes link. Closing quote, we live in an awe-inspiring time when one person in front of a lightweight piece of metal and plastic can influence hundreds of thousands of other people across the world. I hope you'll see this moment in time for what it is, a miracle. This miracle can help you grow as a person and it can help your business reach well beyond your geographic borders to find the exact right people you wish to serve no matter where they live. I hope this book makes your journey feel doable, fun, and inspiring. The name of the book is Master Content Strategy, How to Maximize Your Reach and Boost Your Bottom Line Every Time You Hit Publish. The author is Pamela Wilson. Pamela, thank you very much for coming back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you for having me. I always have fun talking to you. I appreciate the invitation. And that closes the book on episode 202 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan, visit Blinkist.com slash marketingbookpodcast or just click on the link at marketingbookpodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Garrett Moon to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, 10X Marketing Formula, your blueprint for creating competition-free content that stands out and gets results. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Sean Armstrong.